Even men like Talon Card occasionally make mistakes. This is the Chimera. Launch the attack. Time to go to work. You won't let me get killed, will you? Is that what I was supposed to be doing here? I should have brought my lightsaber. You are listening to episode 26 of Star Wars Bookworms, your source for discussion and reviews of the new Star Wars releases from Dark Horse Comics and Del Rey Books. I am one of your hosts, Aaron Goins, and I am here with my fantastic co-host, Teresa Delgado. Hey, how are you? Good, how are you tonight? Um, I'm pretty good, minus the scary storms outside people may hear. <laughs> well, today we have an awesome special show, because... You got to do a really cool interview that I didn't get to be a part of. Yes, I did. So today's episode, we don't have any book reviews, we don't have any comic reviews, we don't have a guest. We just have a really long, really awesome interview with Drew Karpishan. Who is my favorite Star Wars author. And I know you've read like one of his books. I've read more than one of his books. At least two. (laughs) No, there's a couple of his books I haven't read. Um, I read the first Darth Bane novel, which I thought was awesome. It's actually one of my favorite uh, Star Wars novels. And I read um, his other Old Republic novel. Annihilation? Annihilation, yes. The Theron Shan novel, which I really liked as well. So he's two for two in my book. I haven't read his other stuff, but um, you got to interview him. I know he's your favorite author, so it's pretty exciting. I unfortunately had to miss the interview. But you did an awesome job. I just listened to it, and um, it was uh, really cool, really informative. He he gave a lot of really cool insight into different things um, about the Clone Wars and about the new canon and all that stuff. So it's it's going to be a really cool interview to listen to, so I'm really happy that we get to share it with our listeners. Me too. I mean, one of the things I wanted to do for him too was he has a new book coming out, and I don't know if any of our listeners actually know that he writes his own fantasy trilogy that he just started that came out last year so we wanted to have him on talk about star wars and all that stuff but then also to talk a little bit about that let's not make our listeners wait any longer and let's go ahead and play the audio that we got from the interview that Teresa did with drew Karpishan. welcome everybody to a special interview with a very special star wars author he's my favorite star wars author he's the author of the much loved darth bane trilogy as well as Revan and Annihilation, and his own fantasy trilogy called The Chaos Born. It's Drew Karpishan. Hey, Drew. Hey, Teresa. How are you doing? Good. How are you doing? I am doing excellent. So it's been a couple years since we've gotten to talk, and you have an all-new fantasy trilogy that's coming out. Well, one of them is out, and the other one comes out in August, or the second book. And we're going to get to that because we definitely want to talk about that book. That's actually why I got you on the show. But we have to talk about Star Wars, since this is a Star Wars books podcast. So I hope you're good with that. I am. I I love Star Wars. I still love Star Wars. (laughs) So real quick, you've been a Star Wars fan your whole life, I would assume. That's right. Yeah, I actually was about uh, six or seven when I went and saw the first movie in the theater. All right. So... You saw them all in the theater, and then I'm assuming you saw all the prequels in the theater. That's correct, and uh, and you know played many games and uh, read many of the books and comics, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm I, I don't know if I would quite say I'm a hardcore fan, but I'm borderline hardcore. <laughs> Have you seen the Clone Wars? Uh, I've seen episodes, of course. I and maybe this is something some fans want to know about. But of course, I watched the final. Uh, 
episodes on um, Netflix when I, uh, you know, because I heard they were going to be um, introducing Darth Bane and I wanted to see how that was handled. So I, I watched those and I have watched other seasons. I haven't watched the entire uh, run of all six seasons though. Well, if you ever get a chance, you should. I think you'd really like it. I think you'd like a lot of the Darth Maul stuff too. Mm. So, which is like, I think it's season four or season five. Um, so, how did you start off getting involved with Star Wars as far as on the publishing side? Well, it actually kind of tied in with my work uh, at Bioware, a video game developer um, that I'm sure many of your listeners are familiar with. Uh, I had started working for them back in 2000, and we were working on a game called uh, Knights of the Old Republic. And I was the lead writer on that game. Uh, it was a very successful game, very popular game, and using sort of my you know, connections that I forged through working on that game, I was able to approach um, the Star Wars publishing division of Random House and uh, talk to some of the editors there and uh, gave them some samples of my other work and some of the other novels I had written. And uh, they were, you know, happy to try and uh, give me a shot writing some of the Star Wars novels. So your first book was obviously Darth Bane. Was it planned to be a trilogy from the beginning? Uh, no, when we first started talking about writing a, about my, me writing a Star Wars book, the big thing they wanted was they wanted to look at sort of old Republic material. Um, you know, it, it, at that time, there wasn't a lot out there to do with the old Republic other than our game and some of the uh, early Dark Horse graphic novels. So we kind of decided to uh, look at a character that was very influential in the history of Star Wars that maybe people didn't know as much about. And we looked at the Darth Bane character who had made some appearances in some of the graphic novels from Dark Horse. And uh, he was kind of a background character, sort of a side character that played an important role but wasn't really fleshed out. And I decided that would be a good character to really dig into um, since he was so influential in founding the Sith Order as it's portrayed in the movies. Um, and we did the first book. It was a standalone book. But you know, all authors kind of, you know, always have more story they want to tell. So I knew if that if it was popular, I could continue the story of Darth Bane, but it wasn't necessarily intended as a trilogy. So when did you guys decide to actually make it a trilogy? Was it after the second book? Um, you know, the first book came out was quite successful, quite popular. Um, the second book. Uh, you know, once we did the second book, I kind of thought, you know, maybe this is something we want to do as a trilogy or, or a series of books. But I, I kind of wanted to make sure that in that particular, um, in those particular works, that every book was a standalone novel that you could read by itself. Um, so if they were a series, it would just be, you know, characters you already knew, um, maybe some allusions to, to uh, events that had already happened. But I didn't want readers to feel like they were missing out if they for example, picked up the second book or if they had to stop after the first or second book before getting to the third book, I didn't want them to feel like they were cheated out of a complete story because the intent was to do them all as standalone novels. Well, that makes sense. I mean, I know that for me, I can read, I can read like The Rule of Two without having to go back and read mm -hmm. Path of Destruction. So um, I think you did a good job with that. But when you were writing the second Darth Bane novel, how much did you collaborate with the team at Dark Horse? Since the story there was being covered by the Jedi versus, versus Sith comics. Um, there really wasn't a lot of collaboration with Dark Horse. Uh, I had 
you know, I'd read the comics and I talked to the, uh, the various editors and continuity editors, uh, over at, um, at Lucas publishing or, or the, the star Wars branch of, uh, of Delray publishing. And, um, you know, people like, uh, Leland Chi, who is, uh, their continuity manager. He's the one who's in charge of making sure everything fits together. Um, I talked with him a little bit, but the dark horse comics, uh, were written, well, I think it was over a decade before my Darth Bane novels came out, if I remember right. So a lot of the people weren't even involved anymore. And uh, we just used, really used that as sort of a jumping off point. Um, what I did focus more on was just making sure that I didn't you know, contradict anything that was already out there. I tried to make sure everything you know, fit together. I obviously wanted to tell my own story, but there were elements that were you know, taken from the from the comics and the graphic novels that I wanted to make sure I stayed true to them, especially in the, the general spirit of those things. We just ask because on our show we do cover a lot of the comics as well. And so we're always kind of curious if there's anything that goes on behind the scenes with comic books and the novel divisions. Sometimes there is, sometimes there's not. Yeah, and I think it, it uh, well, I mean, going forward, things might have changed. But, you know, in the past, it was, there was so much material out there and so many people working on different things that I think it was just easier to have someone like, like Leland or like the Star Wars um, continuity team be your point of contact because with everyone's schedules and everything, it was just hard to, to get together with all these different creators who were working on different, different elements. So as far as the character of Darth Xana goes, um, what was kind of your inspiration for writing her? Because I really enjoyed her as a character, and I think she was one of the first dark side female characters that I really read. Yeah, you know, Xana, um, obviously, you know, as we've talked about, she kind of appears as a, as a young girl in the uh, Jedi versus Sith comics, and, you know, you can sort of get a, an idea of her character and see how it changes in those comics. But, you know, I'm picking up the story sort of after that point with her. Um, and I, I really just kind of wanted to focus on on making a character that was a, a strong character. Um, you know, I, I think the key to making strong female characters is to just make a strong character. Um, and for inspiration, I just kind of looked to the general Star Wars Universe, you know, there's not a lot of female characters in the Star Wars universe, but you know, if you go back to the original uh, films, um, you know, Princess Leia is, is an incredibly strong character. She's she's awesome, and I just want to sort of make sure that I took a character who was very confident, very strong. You know, she's young; she needs to learn. She's learning the ways of the dark side, but I just wanted to focus on making her seem believable and realistic, and someone readers could, you know, really sort of maybe not identify with, but at least sympathize with or understand where she's coming from. So moving on to like Revan and Annihilation, were those, were the stories that ended up coming in the novels, were they born from um, the Old Republic game or were, was it the other way around? So um, it's a little bit different with each one. So the Revan novel, um, obviously picking up the story of Revan after the Knights of the Old Republic game and to some degree uh, the second Knights of the Old Republic game as well, um, some of the characters from that game. Uh, that was one. We wanted to continue Revan's story, but we also wanted to have Revan appear in the uh, Star Wars Old Republic online game. And uh, you know, I don't want to give too much away for people who haven't played it or who might play it, but Revan does appear and 
it, even though it's set 300 years later, we need to explain why Revan was there. And so, yeah, depending which, which side of the, of the continuum you're playing, you'll see Revan in different states. Um, so the point of the novel was to partly continue the story, but also to just sort of bridge that gap in his story so people understood how he got to where he was in the game. Um, and then there's also uh, a couple characters. Um, for example, if you play the Jedi Knight storyline, uh, there's a character, Darth Scourge, who plays a prominent role in the Revan novel as well. Um, so we kind of wanted to introduce him. Uh, with Annihilation, it was a little bit different because that took place after the original rollout of the game. And what we wanted to do with that was, again, sort of build in more background of characters players may have seen in the game. Um, we wanted to sort of just flesh out that universe a little bit more than what people had seen in the game. Show them some stories and some stuff that you know, maybe we didn't get a chance to tell in the game. We definitely wanted to give them a new story, not just retell what happened in the game, but have there be some connection to characters uh, that they might end up you know, running into or that they might have encountered while they were playing the game. But you don't need to play the games to enjoy the novels. And that was a big part of it. We really want to make sure the stories in the books stand on their own. Um, if you play the game, you kind of get some cool little connections. You see some some interesting stuff that ties together. But if you haven't played the game, I think there's still solid uh, novels, st solid Star Wars stories that just stand on their own. So with um, Star Wars The Old Republic, the game, and since I do play the game, I'm kind of interested. Um, how did, did you come on to help with the game from the beginning as far as the idea for the game and developing all of it? Uh, I actually came in a little bit later in the process. Um, the early development was done with some of the other writing team that was there and uh, a gentleman named James Olin who was uh, also the uh, lead designer on the original KOTOR game. Um, he's, I think he's a creative director at Bioware now. I, I can never remember exactly what his title is. Um, but he was very influential in all the Bioware games that we had done, um, the Baldur's Gate series, Knights of the Old Republic. And he kind of um, went down to Austin, where the studio was, and got the ball rolling. Them. At the time, I was still working on the Mass Effect series up in Edmonton, up in Canada. Uh, so for the first couple years when they were kind of setting things up, I wasn't actually part of the team. I came in a little bit later. So I wasn't really... You know, I, I think the game's a great game. I can't take a lot of credit for the storylines they came up with. I just sort of helped flesh out what they had already been working on uh, as part of the writing team. Um, there was actually, I believe at one point, as high as 12 different writers on that game because there's just so much content. So I came in as a senior writer to just sort of help produce the content based on, you know, the general outline of stories that they had already sort of built into it. And did you have anything to do with, um, well, I know you didn't write Deceived because Paul Kemp wrote Deceived, but did you have anything to do with like kind of helping with that tie-in novel? Um, I, I didn't personally. Um, I know there were a couple people at Bioware uh, who were, you know, kind of involved in that because obviously, uh, you know, it involves characters that are very important in the game. You want to make sure they're portrayed properly. You want to introduce them to people. Um, at that time, I was, I believe, writing the third Mass Effect novel, which is one of the reasons I couldn't um, do an Old Republic novel at the time. So, uh, you know, um, he stepped in, Paul Kemp stepped in and, uh, and, and uh, did it for us. Um, I think he did a pretty solid job, um, but he did work with some of the Bioware people to make sure things kind of fit together. 
cool. Yeah, the Old Republic era is probably my favorite era of Star Wars, which is kind of sad because now I don't know. I mean, it exists. It exists as legends. <laughs> um, and I was actually going to ask you about that. So how do you feel about all of that, the new canon and now legends? Well, um, so I, I'm going to give myself a little plug here. I do have a pretty long blog post uh, on my website, uh, drewcarpition.com. If you go to the news and look at the May 3rd blog post, you can see my my you know really long rambling version of what I think of this. Um, the shorter answer is... I understand why they did it, and I'm not, I'm not outraged. Let's put it that way. Um, you know, I, I I get why they did it. I feel like it's a it's an acceptable compromise. Um, there's so much EU material out there, uh, whether it's old Republic or or newer stuff, and it's it's just it was getting hard to sort of keep track of. And I understand the films don't want to just retell a story that's been told. I, if you're going to put two years of your life into making a movie. You don't want to tell a story that someone else has already told. You want to tell your own story. And I understand that, um, you know, as, a, as an EU fan, um, you know, there was a, a small part of me that, you know, wishes there would have been some way to reconcile everything and keep, you know, everything in continuity. But, you know, with something as broad as Star Wars, there's already little gaps in continuity and little things that, you know, have to sort of be explained and, and forced to fit. And they don't always fit quite right. And I think if they were going to do, uh, I don't want to use the term reboot because I don't think it's a reboot, but if they were going to do this kind of a, a reset, this was the time to do it um, with the, the new films coming out. Um, you know, I'm happy that they're going to continue to publish the books. They're still going to exist, um, as you said, under the Legends banner. I think people can still enjoy the stories. Um, and, you know, as someone who loves Star Wars, I, I am still excited about what's going to come as they move forward. Um, you know, I'm looking forward to it. I think uh, they're going to do a great job. I'm, I'm really looking forward to the new films, um, especially the, the standalone films they've been talking about um, that are not going to be part of the, you know, the, the new trilogy, but sort of backgrounds or, or histories of characters we know and love. So uh, I, think, I think I'm okay with it. I've come to grips with it. And uh, I don't think it's something that, you know, people need to be, as upset about as some people are, but I understand why some people feel a little bit, you know, like this maybe was something that didn't need to be done. But I kind of looking from the inside out, I can understand why it was done and, and I've come to grips with it. Yeah, I, I feel the same as you and um, my co-host Aaron does too. Like we both understand why it had to happen. We knew it was going to happen. Um, mm -hmm. But you know, I think it's just one of those things. People get really attached to those characters and they want to see those characters made into a movie because that seems to be the thing these days. You know, take mm -hmm. a novel and turn it into a movie. Yeah. Um, but, you know, and there are some really good characters in the EU and I would have loved to have seen, you know, a Darth Bane movie. That would have been amazing. Um, yeah, and, and I think, you know, here's the thing that, I, that I'm, you know, maybe it's my false hope clinging to something that I personally was involved in, but, you know, they haven't, said that this stuff didn't happen they've said you know we we reserve the right to go in different directions you know if the if the movies are quite popular and they decide they want to in film explore the old republic maybe they do tell a darth bane you know uh, story down the road i mean there's nothing in the works that i know of i'm not involved this isn't like a you know me me dropping hints <laughs> um but you know down the road it could happen um you know they're not saying this stuff is is 
null and void and never to be spoken of again. They're going to continue publishing them. Um, you know, it still exists in, in sort of some level, uh, like say under the legends banner. And I think most of their stuff is focusing on the, the future of star Wars right now. So for me personally, most of my material has been in the old Republic, you know, it feels a little bit to me like my stuff hasn't been impacted as much. Obviously, going forward, there might be a lot of stuff that contradicts the existing EU um, as far as what's happened after the films. Um, but I don't see them going back and anytime soon and, and doing stuff that will m have a major impact on on the old Republic stuff that I've worked on. Right. I think the only thing we've really seen has been the change of the Sith homeworld. From Korriban to Moriban. Moriban, yeah. And uh, and that one even too, they've kind of, in, in sort of the old tradition of what they used to do with Star Wars, is they've kind of worked it in by saying that that the planet just has multiple names. You know, um, the, the, the example I use is like Istanbul and Constantinople. You know, it's the same city, has a different name. So that was the... Uh, that's sort of the way I'm looking at it. Like, it's not that there wasn't a planet named Korriban. It's just that, you know, it, it has also been known by other names at other times. And I think that was sort of the official explanation Leland uh, Chi put out um, when that episode of the, I believe it was in the Clone Wars that that first came out, uh, when the, in that episode of the Clone Wars where it came up, he kind of explained it that way. Yeah, it was. It was in the that season six Yoda arc um, mm -hmm. where we get to see Darth Bane. So speaking of that, so you have seen it, and um, what did you think? Uh, I, I enjoyed it. Um, you know, the the character there is uh, – here's what I have to uh, – here's my interpretation of it. Again, very unofficial. I don't necessarily know that that was actually Darth Bane's spirit that Yoda spoke to. I think that was sort of the dark side. Um, you know, uh, all the characters there were um, representative of the dark side. Uh, it was sort of this trial he was going through. He was really a cameo, a very short appearance. So, you know, they didn't do anything that I saw that I felt undercut or, you know, contradicted anything I had established with the character, which I, I was glad to see. Um, you know, Mark Hamill voiced him, which is seven kinds of awesome covered in awesome sauce. I mean, it doesn't get any better than that. Um, so I, I was I was kind of happy. It was kind of a, cu a cool little nod, in my opinion. I, I enjoyed watching it. Yeah, I was actually going to ask you how you felt about Mark Hamill being the voice of Darth Bane. If you could have picked somebody, would you have picked him? Well, I would have if I thought he would do it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, he's he's obviously known for Star Wars, but he's done a lot of amazing uh, voice work. Anyone who's familiar with uh, his work as the Joker um, in some of the uh, Batman uh, animated series. You know, he's he's a very established voice actor, which a lot of people don't know. Um, so I, and I found it was just sort of a, a cool insider, you know, homage for want of a better term that they got, you know, Luke Skywalker to voice Darth Bane. It just sort of felt full circle to me. No, it definitely is cool. And it blew me away when I heard it for the first time. And when I saw Darth Bane for the first time, I, I accepted it for what it was. And I think that it was cool, but I think I have a certain Darth Bane in my head from reading the books and stuff and I don't I don't know I don't know if it was the same <laughs> and that's kind of why I kind of for me personally I kind of felt like you know I don't necessarily know that that was Darth Bane's actual you know spirit for want of a better term um, I think it was more 
you know, what, what Yoda was going through there with all these trials and there was a lot of stuff coming at him and there was sort of this what's real, what's not real. And I think it was just more representative of, you know, an iconic figure of the dark side. I don't, I don't necessarily know they're saying literally Darth Bane's spirit has been sitting here for, you know, thousands of years or a thousand years waiting. Um, now, there might be an official explanation out there that says I'm wrong, but I haven't heard it yet. So this that's my interpretation because you're right. It wasn't quite you know, how I envisioned Darth Bane, but I think it was really more supposed to be how Yoda would have envisioned Darth Bane because these were really these trials that he had to go through, sort of like Luke faced in the cave with Darth Vader. It wasn't the real Darth Vader in Empire Strikes Back. It was his own fears manifesting as this iconic figure, if, if that makes sense. That might be a little rambly. No, it does make sense. I mean, it's just like when I think of Darth Bane, there's this like real heavy cloud and like you know it just gets real heavy in my head when I think of Darth <laughs> Bane and it gets real scary and intense and I love it and when I saw that I was like this is cool but it's not as dark as I feel like it should be <laughs> so but you know I I attribute that to how well you made Darth Bane as a character since they are my favorite books I appreciate um, <laughs> that I'll take that as a compliment it is so um do you prefer, in the Star Wars universe, do you prefer writing characters that are Force users, um, like Bane and Revan, or like non-Force users, like Theron Shan and stuff like that? Um, I, I think I kind of like to do a little bit of both. Um, you know, the thing about the Force users is it, it's such an iconic part of Star Wars um, that it's hard to make a character who doesn't have you know, this sort of direct connection to the force, um, who, who doesn't feel in some way hampered by that, you know, you, you, you feel a little bit lesser. It can be done. And, and a great example is Han Solo. Um, you know, he's, he doesn't have a direct connection with the force the same way a Jedi does. Now you can argue that he in his own way draws on the force. That's why he's, you know, one of the luckiest scoundrels ever to roam the galaxy. And that's why he does all these amazing things. And I like that interpretation because the force is supposed to be in all, in all living creatures in some way. Um, so when I approached a character like Theron Shan, it was very fun from a different perspective because I had to find a way to make him, you know, be able to hold his own with, a force user or, you know, not feel like he was somehow hindered or handicapped by not having the powers of, say, a Jedi or a Sith. Um, and I think anyone who's, you know, looked at Star Wars uh, at some of the, you know, other characters who aren't Jedi Sith, you know, uh, Boba Fett, uh, Han Solo, um, you know, characters like that, you can be cool and, and you know, scary or amazing and very much a hero or, or dangerous villain without having the force. But it is something as a writer, you got to work a lot harder to make that stick. So it's uh, it's a challenge, but it's a fun challenge. So a couple more Star Wars questions, but these are going to be about things that you like. Do you have a favorite character in the Star Wars universe? Well, I, I mean, I'm going to discount characters I've written because I don't think that's fair for me. <laughs> um, <laughs> Admiral Thrawn is, of course, a cool character, and he was one of the first um, outside the films that I was introduced to. Um, in the films, I, I, I've always been a Han Solo guy. I mean, I know I'm not unique in that. Everybody, there's a lot of people out there. Um, and I've always really liked Princess Leia, especially as she was portrayed in the in the first two movies. She's just uh, she's she's really, I think, just a great character. Um, so those are probably my my favorites. Uh, I would say. Um, 
you know, and then as far as uh, I'll throw one character I like out of my own stuff that is kind of a minor character is I really like the healer Caleb who um, does play a, a a pretty important role in the in the Darth Bane trilogy, but um, is a very minor character. He was introduced in the Dark Horse comics. He didn't have a name, and I just thought this was a really fascinating character. So I kind of picked him up and ran with him, and I I really personally I I think he's one of my favorite sort of little mini characters that I developed. Oh, I'm so glad. I really liked him too. I thought he was he was unique, and I haven't read some of the Dark Horse comics that have. Bane in them and like some of the characters that are involved so I need to go back and actually read those but um, I thought he was an interesting character because he kind of changes the pace of things a little bit um, which is really nice um, so okay favorite film uh, well it's Empire <laughs> <laughs> that's that's just a given I was going to assume um, and actually, so my favorite's Return of the Jedi, so is my co-host. So it's always kind of interesting because we know most people are Empire, but we usually I, like I think a ask. lot of it does depend on the age of what came out, too. Um, I mean, I, 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 I know we've met a few in person. You're, uh, you're a bit younger than I was. But I was right at that, like, sort of age where I was old enough to appreciate movies right when Empire came out. So for me, that was one of the first movies that just really stuck in my head. You know, and if you watch them as you're, you know, in different times, I think depending which movie you see when, you know, they'll stick in your head because of the age we're at as viewers. And, uh, and though, you know, we gravitate to those too. Right. And if you had to pick a movie from the prequels, which one would you like the best? Well, I think, uh, the third one, um, Partly because it's you know it's got the the Darth Vader um, culmination, uh, for want of a better term. Um, yeah, I think that's probably uh, the one I would go with. That was the one I was gonna guess. <laughs> <laughs> All right, very cool. So let's see. We have some listener questions that are about Star Wars, but I'm gonna hold those to the end because right now I want to talk about your fantasy series, The Chaos Born. Um, the last time we talked about it, it hadn't come out yet, and I don't think you had even named the series at that point. You had just told me that it was a fantasy series. So, where did it come from? Uh, so, the, the Chaos Born, uh, the first book is called Children of Fire, which is already out. Um, the second book is, gonna, is called The Scorched Earth, and that's coming out in August. And then the third book I'm still working on. Uh, and it is only a trilogy. It's not going to be like one of these trilogies that turns into eight books or something. It's, it's three books. The story's all planned out already. Um, it's really a, uh, sort of going back to my roots as a, as a young reader. Um, you know, I've read, obviously, Lord of the Rings. Uh, sure, a lot of fantasy and science fiction fans have. But also um, the books uh, by people like Terry Brooks, the Sword of Shannara and, and those series, um, David Eddings, uh, the Belgariad, uh, those books, um, the Dragonlance books, uh, which I read again when I was, you know, sort of in my teen years, those really always just evoked a, a sort of a certain sense of wonder and, and, and enjoyment in me that I really feel like I wanted to do the same thing for readers. Um, you know, the obviously science fiction fantasy, it's evolving all the time and it's changed quite a bit, especially with the introduction of sort of a more gritty realism um, along lines of like a George Martin or Game of Thrones, that that type of thing. But I still think you can capture that that uh, sort of sense of wonder of those novels that I read when I was a teenager. And I wanted to 
take those and then put my own personal spin on them because I'm known mostly for um, pace and action and, and keeping things moving. And as much as I loved fantasy, there was always chapters where I skimmed over stuff. You know, there's a big feast and they start talking about all the different meals and, and that are being served and all the guests that are at the feast who really don't play any role in the plot. I thought, man, I, I want to read a book that doesn't have any of this. So that's kind of what I wrote. I, I wrote an, a, a, a classic fantasy trilogy with all that stuff stripped away, which just leaves sort of what I call the good bits, <laughs> at least for, for my personal taste. Yeah, so like the parts of Lord of the Rings where he goes into explaining what a tree looks like for 10 pages? Yeah, you don't get a lot of that. Um, you don't get anyone sitting around doing poetry in my books. That just doesn't happen. Um, yeah, that's just something I, I know some readers really like that. It lets them you know, feel like the world is more real. Um, I'm drawn into the world in, through different things. Um, the characters and their actions and you know the, the actual conflicts that are going on in the world, those are the things that draw me in. So I really wanted to make sure that's, as a writer, what I put into this fantasy series. Well, I'm so glad you mentioned Terry Brooks because he's actually one of my favorite authors. And I love all of his stuff. So I wanted to ask you, have you read his um, The Magic Kingdom of Landover? Uh, is that the Ma Magic Kingdom for Sale? Is that the yeah, one you're that talking one, about? Yeah, that one, and yes, then there's yes. like a series. Okay, yeah. cool. Yeah, so I've read, uh, I don't know if I've read all of them because I know he's done quite a few. Um, same with the Shannara books. I haven't, I'm not up to date on the latest ones. Um, but I have read his stuff. Uh, I, you know, I love Terry Brooks. Um, I felt like he was sort of an evolution of the Lord of the Rings style. He brought, made it a little more modern, um, a little more approachable for, for a reader like me. Um, and then I feel like I'm kind of continuing in that tradition, taking fantasy and trying to make it sort of more modern in its feel. Um, something that, that, you know, for want of a better term, this our current generation can grab onto a little easier. Um, and on a side note, I, I've met Terry Brooks once or twice at uh, conventions, and he's possibly the nicest human that's ever walked the earth. <laughs> well, if we're ever at the same convention and he happens to be there, you're going to need to take me over to meet him because <laughs> I want to meet him. And he has a new, there's a new one um, coming out as well. I think it comes out around the same time yours does. Um, so that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, so we talked a little bit about your inspiration for the series, but what about your inspiration for some of the characters? Because I know, because um, you've got the four children of fire. There's Keegan, Scythe, um, Cassandra, and I want to say, is it Valor? Yeah, Valor. Okay. Right. Um, where did the inspiration for those four come from? So uh, what I tried to do with them was uh, take sort of, classic, um, you know, fantasy archetypes and then put my own spin on them. So let, let's start with Keegan, for example. You know, uh, there's the classic sort of farm boy in fantasy that, you know, is destined to be the savior of the world and he doesn't want the responsibility and he doesn't want to, you know, deal with this power that's, that's inside him. And I thought, well, let's take that archetype and put a different spin on it. So for me, um, you know, Keegan sort of starts out that way, but he quickly evolves um, into someone who uses his power and, you know, I don't want to give too much away, but there's something tragic. But instead of saying, I reject my power because of this tragedy, he says, no, I'm going to embrace this and I'm going to learn to use it. And, you know, I'm going to try and become a powerful wizard, which felt to me like what I would do if I had a power like that. I always got frustrated with characters who 
didn't want the responsibility of, you know, being awesome for want of a better term. Um, so that was sort of an archetype I took that I wanted to spin. Um, another archetype is the, uh, the, the, let's say thief with a heart of gold, right? So, uh, that's a common and quite often that character is a female character. You know, she's a rogue who, you know, does things, but you know, at her core is actually very kind and gentle and looking out for the little person. And with Scythe, I kind of took that and again, twisted it a bit. She's, there's a little bit of that in there, but she's also a character who's driven by rage and violence and she'll do horrific things if she feels it's the right case. And she's definitely not, you know, going to get all uh, soft and bubbly because she saw a cute little kitten or something like that. So I, I took that rogue with the heart of gold. She's still someone you feel like is doing the right thing, but she is going to do it with brutal methods. And, you know, I like taking archetypes and just sort of putting little twists on them and turns on them. Um, and that's kind of what I did when I approached those characters. And um, so where did you get some of their names from? Did you... Uh, so names for me uh, are one of the hardest things for some reason. I, I really struggle with names. Um, I, I kind of feel like you want them to have significance, but you don't want them to be so on the nose. And I really struggle with that. Um, you know, Scythe, uh, people who read it will see where her name comes from. Um, and in some ways it kind of fits, you know, what she is, you know, Scythe is sort of a scary looking implement of, uh, you know, potentially for farms, but you know, right. we, you can use them. The Grim Reaper uses a Scythe as well. And that's sort of why I wanted to capture that. Um, Keegan was just sort of a name that, that resonated with me. Um, I, I like to pull my names from different cultures and especially in this book, I've taken sort of a, a mishmash of a lot of different cultural legends. Um, there's some Nordic stuff and there's a little bit of Middle Eastern stuff and there's some Native American stuff and there's some Celtic stuff. And, and I've kind of just thrown it all together and, uh, and I pick and choose what I, what I feel suits best at that time. Um, so as far as the names, you know, Cassandra obviously is a, a, a classic name from um, Greek uh, and Roman myths. She was the prophet who tried to warn the people of Troy uh, about the Trojan horse. They didn't listen to her and things went very badly for them. So she's become synonymous with the classic prophet who warns people that no one will listen to. Well, in my book, she's also a prophet, but she's not a prophet nobody listens to. She's a prophet who sort of is the, uh, I, I don't want to give too much away, but she's a prophet who um, is is listened to. Uh, people, important people realize she's right and and take steps to you know, sort of get her going down the path she needs to go down. Um, that's sort of the way I like to approach names is I'll, I'll pull names that have meanings from other works, other like classic mythology or biblical names. Um, Caleb the healer in the, um, in the uh, Darth Bane trilogy, Caleb is a biblical name. I, I just like the feel of those names. They resonate with me and they kind of bring a weight that I don't think you would have if you just made up a random assortment of letters. So... When I can, I try to pull those names together. Cool. So as far as the title for the series, The, the Chaos Born, where did that come from? Because I know the word chaos in this world that you've created is kind of, it's different from what we would interpret as being the word chaos. And I get children of fire, that makes sense. Um, and then how did you come up with the scorched earth? 
so, um, so the chaos born, um, as, as you said, in this world, chaos is essentially the, the, the quintessential essence of everything. It's, it's the, the magic that formed the world. It's, it's also the, the source of all life. It's the source of all destruction though. Um, in, in this world, creation and life is a very violent process, uh, as well as destruction. Um, so chaos is something that is very powerful, but very dangerous. It's generally feared. Um, and then the chaos born is, you know, kind of alluding to the, the, the children of fire, these children who are touched by chaos. They are actually, um, partly born because of this spell of a, of a banished God who is, you know, looking to, uh, return and, and he sees these children as a way to sort of make that happen. Um, which is another iconic twist. The saviors of the world are also the potential destroyers of the world in my, uh, in my novel. Um, so that's where the, the general chaos born came from. Um, it's most of the novel focuses on these four characters and, you know, chaos plays such an important role in the novel. That seemed to make sense. Children of fire, as you said, pretty clear. They're all born into some kind of suffering and strife. Um, you know, they've essentially been, you know, put through the symbolic fire as children in order to, uh, you know, make them into what they are. And then the scorched earth, uh, a little bit continuing that fire theme, but also sort of playing on um, the, the classic uh, terminology in, in our world, which is uh, kind of, there's two meanings. One is, you know, of an army coming into a country and just wiping everything out, leaving nothing behind. Um, or something that the Russian army did when uh, when the Russia would be invaded multiple times, they would retreat and just burn everything as they went, leaving the invaders with no supplies, no food, nothing to survive, and let the winter take them out. And that is something that actually plays a role in this novel. The, the war um, between various factions escalates, and you'll see some large-scale battles. And it just felt like it was an appropriate thing for uh, for this novel. Um, and I just think it sounds cool. <laughs> it does sound cool. And I was going to actually go into that. So some of the scenes, or actually many of the scenes in your books, have been described as being kind of cinematic or video game-esque, which mm -hmm. makes sense considering you've done a lot with video games. Um, was that something that you did intentionally, or just how your writing style has sort of developed? Well, I think it's, I think it's something that, has happened because of the work I've done in video games and because of, you know, just growing up in an era of, of television movies, um, as well as books, but it's something I've actually embraced. I don't try to fight it. Um, I think it is one thing that's distinctive of my style is it does feel, you know, very visual, um, you know, cinematic, uh, some writers might shy away from that, but I actually like it. I, I think it's a, you know, an important part of what makes my writing distinctive. Um, it's a good way to keep the pacing and the action up. Um, you know, books offer a lot that you don't get out of film, but film can offer a lot that you don't get out of books. And some of that is the pacing and excitement. And I try to make sure I bring as much of that into my writing as I can. Um, so I think it's, you know, it, it wasn't something I set out to do when I first became a writer, but it's just sort of the natural evolution based on, you know, my own influences growing up and then my work with, uh, with Bioware and the video game industry. And, you know, I love films, uh, not just Star Wars films. I love all sorts of films. So I think that's something that's really helped shape my writing and make me into a very sort of cinematic style of, of an author. In an interview that you did, and I think it was actually with Del Rey um, back when Children of Fire came out, um, you had mentioned that there are 
in doing a fantasy series, you have to do a lot more background work and creating like the world and the story behind the characters and all that kind of stuff, but not all of it makes it into the books. Um, can you tell me something that you created for the story that didn't make it into Children of Fire um, that you think may not make it into any of the other books? <laughs> well, it's something actually, it's funny you mentioned that because in the third book, um, there are some not exactly flashbacks, but there's some scenes of, of sort of the ancient history. And one of the things I'd done early on was I had the, you know, the creation myth for the world and how it was created, but very specifically who all the old gods were and what they did and what they represented and what their strengths and weaknesses were for. And that was very much inspired by, you know, the classic Greek or, or uh, Norse mythology. You know, every god has sort of their um, area, their sphere of influence. And I, I kind of mimicked that and created this whole pantheon of gods. Um, but it just really hasn't fit into the, the story in a way that I think I need to get out there and, and put it out there for readers because those gods are dead. They're gone. And what's important is sort of what's remains of them and, and how that's impacted. And that comes up in the story. But, uh, you know, going into that description of, you know, who the gods were and, which ones were, you know, male, female, which always sounds funny when you're talking about gods, but, um, you know, what they were like, all that information, I've sort of had notes on it for years, but I don't think it's ever going to make it in there. You know, maybe if the series is incredibly popular, maybe I put out a little addendum or an appendix with that information, but for now, I'm just focusing on the actual series. So once it's over and I have the question, I'm just going to ask you. <laughs> <laughs> um. So, okay, in Children of Fire, there's no clear hero. I mean, you don't, it's not like Luke Skywalker where you can just tell, like, oh, well, he's the hero. And, but there's no clear villain either. Um, was that something that you did that kind of mimics the times of today and sort of the themes that we see in our own real lives? Yeah, and I think, you know, you see that a lot more in, in, um, in fantasy uh, nowadays, uh, you know, again, Game of Thrones is a good example. Uh, it's hard to tell the good guys from the bad guys. And a lot of times a bad guy and a good guy is just which side of the fence you're sitting on. And I did want there to be a lot of conflict, but I didn't want people to be mustache twirling villains. You know, I wanted people to understand why different factions were doing what they were doing and to sort of understand it. Um, but I've also included some of the classic evil uh, for want of a better term, um, in the form of uh, uh, this old, this god, uh, Daemon, Daemon the Slayer, uh, who has been banished, um, has sort of, you know, created his own kingdom outside the mortal world, um, which is basically a kingdom of evil and demons and monsters. And, uh, you know, some of that is, is dripping through into the mortal world uh, in the book. And I feel that's a way to sort of capture the iconic feel of evil while still keeping the, I won't say human, but uh, uh, human-esque characters, the, the men and women that you actually see in the novel, keep them from becoming cartoonish in their, in their motivations. Do you, was it hard for you to make a transition from writing stuff like Mass Effect and Star Wars, which is um, very science fiction. Well, Mass Effect's more science fiction. Star Wars is kind of sci-fi fantasy. But was it hard for you to make that transition from science fiction to fantasy? Well, they're very different. Um, so as you said, you know, Star Wars is kind of a, a, the middle ground between science fiction and fantasy. 
Um, with science fiction, it's always complicated because, especially with something like Mass Effect, you want to make sure that the rules of the universe, uh, the technology, the science, are um, as close to accurate as possible. Um, obviously, we extrapolate things and stretch some, you know, scientific theories, push them in directions that maybe aren't quite perfectly accurate. But you know, we have we try to make sure that the space travel and things like that are realistic or, or explained in ways that feel realistic, that feel like they could happen. Um, fantasy, it's different. You, you really don't have that same restriction, but there's more weight on the author to make sure that your world is internally consistent. Um, so, you know, you have to do more work to uh, make sure that your rules of magic, for want of a better term, fit together uh, in a fantasy world, but you also aren't restricted by as many of the real world science limitations as you would be in say Mass Effect. So when I work on a science fiction novel um, and to some degree Star Wars because there's a lot of existing material out there, a lot of time is spent researching various technologies and how they work and you know what the limits of them are and how you can push the limits and how characters can do unexpected things with these technologies. With the fantasy, I don't focus on that as much. I focus more on um, you know the action that's going to happen or you know, the sort of the internal rules of the world of the magic and how, you know, you have to get that across to readers, how a reader's going to understand how magic works and what the limits are on magic and what can and cannot be done. You know, I tend to gear myself more towards fantasy as far as my pleasure reading and then, you know, Star Wars fits in right there. But if I try to go too sci-fi, I get lost because <laughs> it just gets too technical. Yeah, and it really can, um, you know, and that's the beautiful thing about sci-fi and fantasy, though, is I think they offer sort of different experiences, right? Because I think that's what a lot of the readers want in science fiction is to see how that world, the technology of that world works and how it's extrapolated from our own. Whereas, as you said, in fantasy, for me, it's more about escapism. You know, I'm, I'm just out there to enjoy the story in the world, and I'm not so much worried about how things are working or how they're fitting together. So, The Scorched Earth that comes out, August 19th, um, are we going to be seeing the, it seems like they're coming out in August, because the first one, Serled of Fire, was August of 2013, and this one's August 2014. Do you think we'll see the third one in August of 2015? Yeah, probably. I mean, we don't have the, um, we haven't said it for sure, but it's probably going to be, I would guess, in that similar timeline. Um, you know, I'm going to have the book finished probably uh, in September here. But there's such a long lead time on these um, with publishing. Uh, there's a lot of editing steps. And, and again, that's something I talk about in one of my other blog entries. Uh, if people go to my website, they can see. I talk about all the things that happen between when I, as a writer, finish my first draft and when it actually comes on the shelf. And it's amazing. It, it's pretty typical to take six to nine months or longer for a book to come out once a writer submits it. So I don't think it would be much sooner than you know, summer of next year, uh, unless, you know, for some reason something crazy happens and they, they really want to rush it out the door. But I don't think they would do that because that's when you sort of get mistakes coming up or things can, you know, get a little sloppy. So you want to make sure they take the time and do it right. Right. Um, one last question about this series. So the cover art, um, who did that? So, uh, that's a good question. Uh, I should know that off the top of my head, and I don't because I'm terrible. Um, <laughs> so the interesting thing about the cover art, so uh, I think 
people can see, obviously, Children of Fire is out, and it's sort of a, a two-tone cover, red-themed. Scorched Earth, you can see the cover if you go um, onto uh, the Barnes & Noble website or Amazon or any bookseller site. You can see a, a picture of the cover, and it's similar, sort of two tones, but it's a blue theme. Um, but if you look at the American covers uh, and can contrast them, it's very interesting to see they've done a totally different style of covers for the United Kingdom versions. Um, now, I don't know if they've actually put out the uh, UK version of Scorched Earth, but the UK version of Children of Fire, it's, they both depict the same character, uh, Rex Hall, who is the, um, the wizard uh, mentor figure, for want of a better term, uh, in the novel, but they, they're very different looking images. And uh, the US one kind of went in a different direction where they said, we're going to do sort of a more of a minimalist uh, one, um, it does look almost a little, there's some horror elements to it, which probably fits my style of writing. I can get a little bit gruesome and graphic. Um, and then the UK version looks like much more sort of the classic fantasy with uh, lots of detail and sort of has that uh, epic gothic feel to it. So they kind of went in two different directions. So it's kind of interesting to see that there's two different covers out there. Well, I didn't know that until just now, so I just Googled it, and now I have to have the UK version, too. Because <laughs> the UK versions are pretty striking. I have the US versions. I mean, it's a good thing that I have friends that live in the UK. <laughs> like, go get me that. <laughs> I didn't know they did that. Do they do that with a lot of books? Or they? I mean, well, they did it with Harry Potter, obviously, mm -hmm. but um, I didn't know yeah. they would do that with, like, a US... Written. Yeah, and, and it, it well, I think because um, the actual uh, novel being published in the UK is being published by uh, by Random House UK, which is a separate you know publisher. Um, and then if you really want to look, if you go, the only place I know to look, and I, I hate to just constantly promote Amazon, um, I like to try and promote other book places too, but if you go to Amazon.de and look up the German version of Children of Fire, they have a completely different cover as well. Oh my gosh. Um, which is very interesting because uh, the character, uh, Rexall is his name, the wizard character, is black, uh, you know, very dark skin. Um, but in the German version, he's not. So I don't know if that was lost in translation or why that is. Um, I actually didn't have any input into the German cover. It's a cool looking cover. It is a cool but, looking uh, cover. I just found it. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, there's some interesting stuff with the cover art that, uh, that is happening. And so that German version that's coming out uh, of the first book, I think in... I think it's in July. I can't remember the exact date, um, oh, wow, but it's coming cool. out pretty soon. Have you listened to the audiobook version? I actually, I've listened to little bits of it, but I haven't listened to the whole thing. Um, the uh, the narrator, uh, Phil Gigante, which I think is just an amazing name, um, he is uh, uh, most known, it's kind of interesting, most known for doing romance novels, which I found very intriguing. <laughs> um, but I think he did a good job, uh, uh, the parts I heard. Um, but I... I've never been an audio book kind of person. I read very quickly, um, and I, I feel like the pacing when I hear it uh, spoken to me is too slow, and I get frustrated. I want to push the story forward, so um, I don't usually do the audio. Okay, that's cool. I was just wondering. I always I listen to audiobooks if I am like on a road trip or something, and I need something to keep my attention. Um, okay, so do you want to dive into some of these listener questions we have? Let's Let's do it. Okay, so we have a couple off of Facebook. Um, the first one is from a guy named Derek Katz, and he was asking, who is your favorite character to write in the Old Republic era? 
my favorite character to write in the old republic era so uh i'm assuming he means of characters that i've actually written and i think he's meaning books not the old republic game he um, could mean games too he might a lot mean of our the game. readers list that's play true the games too so I'll, I'll give them both here uh so i really liked writing um the character from uh rule of two who was i guess you could argue the hero um and i i'm probably gonna mispronounce the name it's terrible i can't remember my own names johan the uh the Je- the jedi um the survivor of uh of the the thought bomb who kind of is hunting darth bane oh, i really liked writing bomb. him sorry yeah. <laughs> go ahead i'm sorry <laughs> so uh i really uh, i really enjoyed um writing him and uh and then as far as uh, the game, um, I, I, I really liked writing um, – there, there's a character on um, – oh, man, I am so terrible now. In the Jedi Knight storyline, uh, you get to the planet of the, uh, the, the mystics, um, the mystics and psychics, and the character who is with you – this is terrible. I'm, I'm the worst person for names – uh, I wrote most of that storyline for the Jedi Knight character, and the character who is with you the whole time, she's a, sort of a, a one of their warriors who escorts you. Um, she, I really liked writing her. Um, Whatever and, her name is. <laughs> yes. God, this is terrible. Uh, you know, this is the thing. Uh, uh, people always joke about this, friends of mine or people I meet, but I always remind them that, you know, uh, in the past – eight years I've done, I think it's like nine video or six video games and nine novels. And I've also done multiple versions of them because you only see the final product. So I've got like 18 different versions of everything running around my head and it all gets jumbled together. And I just have to purge it after a while. I'm like, I'm done with that project. Purge and uh, focus on what's coming up or else I just get off track so <laughs> no, that's that's always fine. my excuse for when i can't remember names of things that i've actually written <laughs> well i think it would be it would probably be really hard to find somebody that is an author who's written all that kind of stuff that remembers every single character like i would be blown away if somebody like terry brooks knew every character he'd ever written yeah i mean i'm sure he's got notes he can refer to but i bet off the top of his head he doesn't remember them right Okay, um, the next question's off Facebook. It's actually from um, a good friend of mine. His name is Mark Herleman. And he said, if you get the chance to write in the new Star Wars canon, are there any elements or characters you would bring over from Legends if you could? Oof. Well, I mean, for me, if I, if I, for my personal characters, obviously I'd like to try and bring in, you know, Darth Bane or, or Xana or even Cognus um, into the you know, the narrative, if they were doing something sort of more old Republic, um, if, even though it's not my character, if I had the chance to write and they said, we want to bring in a character, I think personally, I would like to bring in Admiral Thrawn, but I would feel very weird about writing him because, you know, Timothy Zahn is is such a great author and that's his character, but he's a character I'd love to see come into the, uh, sort of into the, the, the new canon for want of a better term. Right. Um, have you met Timothy Zahn? Uh, yeah, I've met him a couple times. Okay, I know yeah. some. He's a nice guy too. <laughs> I know some of the authors have gotten to be pretty good friends. Like I know um, Mike Stackpole and Aaron Alston were friends and things mm-hmm. like that. Um, but it's all you never know, you know, who's friends and stuff. But I mean, Aaron lived. 
in Round Rock. So. Yeah, he was pretty close to us. Um, I, and unfortunately, I only met him a few years ago, and already he was, you know, he was struggling with some of the health problems. He's a really nice guy. Um, and, you know, I just didn't get to know him that well because I would only sort of see him at conventions. Um, and uh, and then even toward the end, he was a little bit limited into what conventions he could go to um, just because of some of his health problems. Um, and it's it's really a shame because he was he was a really nice guy and, and a really great author, too. No, I agree. I got to meet him a couple of times. And then he was at the Reeds Day that you were at mm-hmm. um, when all the people from BioWare were there as well. Um, okay, this one's from Twitter. And it's from Savannah Rogers. She's also known on Twitter as at Snack Pack. Um, she said, <laughs> since retiring from BioWare, what's the most fulfilling thing you've done with your career? Hmm. Interesting. So let's think what I've done since I've left BioWare. Well, I mean, the big thing, obviously, is the Chaos Born trilogy, um, which I'm still in the middle of doing. Uh, I've really enjoyed that. Um, and, and honestly, I think that's mostly what I've been focused on since I've left Bioware. Uh, I've been, it's been about two and a half, almost three years since I left Bioware, if, I, if I, my memory serves. And uh, most of that time has been focused on the Chaos Born trilogy. So I haven't really had a chance to do anything else. Um, I think, you know, after this, I don't know what I'm going to do next, but I, I definitely, you know, wouldn't be adverse to going back to Star Wars or back to Mass Effect or maybe trying something new too. You know, I'm just going to sort of see where it goes. But uh, I'm very lucky. I can do all sorts of things that are awesome uh, that, you know, I, I get a chance to participate in. So it's really picking between a lot of good options for me. And that was actually the next question was, um, what would your plans be post-Chaos Born? Ah. Um, so good job. You <laughs> answered two in one. Um, and then we have another one from Twitter is – and obviously, you probably don't know this either, but is there any possibility of you writing another story in the Old Republic era or for Star Wars? Um, so, you know, I think they are going to be continuing uh, with EU-type novels, like in the new, you know, sort of establishing the new direction, for want of a better term. And uh, I, I definitely enjoy writing with Star Wars. I, I, you know, we've got a good relationship and I... Definitely would go back, uh, possibly if they asked. Um, you know, the last year or so, I've, or the last couple of years, I've, I've haven't really taken on any other projects, and I kind of told my agent and some of the editors I've worked with. I said, you know, I'm going to finish this trilogy first, and then, you know, I'll look at other options. So nobody's kind of, they all know that. So nobody's really come to me and said, hey, can you do this? But once the trilogy's done, um, you know, I would not be shocked if I went back to Star Wars. Um, you know, if if they would be interested, I think. Uh, I think there's some potential there, but again, I'll just wait and see sort of what what presents itself and uh, and take it from there. Sounds good to me. You should go back to Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> um, and okay, the last one we have is from it's from Twitter as well. It's from at BC Memoirs. Um, they asked, or no, I clicked on the wrong one. It's from at Ryan's Pitch. Okay, and. If you held the creative reins for episode seven, what would your top three priorities be? Ooh, wow. Jeez. <laughs> that, that is a, that's a terrifying question. Um, well, for me, one of the, the top priorities, and I think they're doing it, is just sort of, um, I call it passing the torch. Um, you know, taking the characters from the classic trilogy, uh, you know, um, 
and and they've got a lot of the actors. I think pretty much everybody's on board now with Harrison Ford and Mark Hamill and Carrie Fisher and and all them. Bring them in, but bring them in a way that shows them passing the torch to the next generation. Um, I think that's very important. Uh, you know, they're, they're all great actors, um, and there's definitely interesting stories you can tell as characters get older. But I think for an adventure, space adventure story, you do need some young blood in there. And I think you want to make sure that, that whoever you bring in feels like they have that connection. So for me, that's step one is, you know, get new characters in, but show how they're connected to the old and, and show that continuation um, sort of of that, that, that line. And not necessarily that they have to be related by blood, but a continuation of the relationships that were sort of established and uh, showing them now becoming the mentors guiding people. So that would be the first big step. Um, wow, that's that's interesting. The, I think the second step is really just um, very carefully establishing the 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 villain. Um, and I mean that sounds very obvious, but you know the the key to I think the the, the original Star Wars trilogy was it really was. Um, you know, the Empire was set up as a great villain. We were introduced to Darth Vader, who's obviously one of the most iconic villains in the history of cinema, and the Emperor as well, the shadow behind Darth Vader. And by the third movie, you know, they've grown and, and developed those characters, and you have the great moment of, you know, Vader and Luke and the Emperor, you know, literally in a standoff, you know, toe-to-toe, and deciding who's going to do what and, and how the fate of the galaxy is going to be decided. And they did a very good job of making sure those villains were consistent and well-developed and built up through the three movies. And I think you want to do that. I don't think they want to just sort of bring in a, a different villain for every film. Um, I think it would lose something if they did that. And I think you have to be careful about just saying, you know, oh, yeah, it's, uh, it's more the Empire or, you know, I, and I don't know what they're planning. But, you know, I know there's the potential it could be a clone of the Emperor I don't know if that's the best direction to go because, you know, it feels to me like that might feel just like we've been there and done that. So I really think they have to be very careful about how they establish the villain and how they slowly introduce the villain and build them up over the course of three movies. Um, and you lay the groundwork in episode seven. Um, I don't know what the third thing would be. I think those two things are enough to worry about as it is, especially considering I'm not even working on the film. So. Right. <laughs> Um, and then I had a question, just because you mentioned the standalone films earlier, is there a standalone film that you're looking forward to? Because I'm sure you're just like all of us who are on Twitter and we see all the rumors and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously I, I've heard that they're doing a, a standalone of Boba Fett and of Han Solo and, and you know, Yoda's sort of backstory. Um, I'm I, Obviously Han Solo's an awesome character. I think he could be really entertaining. Um it's just so hard for me to picture anyone other than Han, uh, Harrison Ford in that role. Um, but, you know, hopefully they'll find someone who can can pull it off. Um, but the Yoda one to me is very interesting because I think I know the least about what they're going to do, if that makes sense. Yep. Um, and I I would love if they took it in sort of some dark directions. And there was, you know, there was some hints of that in the, those Clone Wars episodes that, you know, Yoda's had some dark stuff in his past and... I, I like the idea that, you know, maybe he wasn't always this sort of wise, you know, um, sort of, you know, force of good. I like the idea that 
he's kind of maybe gone through the darkness. And I, I wouldn't mind seeing a dark origin story of Yoda, for want of a better term. Um, I have no idea if they're going to do anything like that. And, you know, I trust they're going to come up with something cool. But uh, in my mind, that's my sort of fan fan fiction favorite right there is, is that direction. Very cool. Um, and just another curious question. Have you ever thought about writing comic books? Uh, I have a little bit. Um, for me, I, I have a little bit of uh, difficulty with the format. I didn't read a lot of comics graphic novels growing up. I mean, I've read some, obviously, uh, some of the iconic ones and some of the Star Wars ones and things like Watchmen. Um, but I was never um, a strong comic reader. Like, I didn't read it a lot. And I have a lot of trouble, for me personally, is uh, relying on the artwork to tell the story. I'm, I'm more of a word guy or a, a, an action, um, physical action guy. And for me, comics... I've always struggled because I feel like as a writer, I don't know if I would be able to trust the artist enough to do what he needs to do to make it work. Uh, it feels to me like it's a very, unless you're doing both the writing and the, the, the art, um, which I don't think a lot of people do anymore. It seems like you have to have a very good relationship. And I just don't know that I, I've got that kind of relationship with anyone where I would trust an illustrator or an artist, uh, you know, whatever the actual technical terms are um, enough to, you know, pour my heart and soul into something and then have to rely on someone else to deliver or else everything doesn't work. <laughs> yeah, no, that makes sense. That makes total sense. All right, so um, we'll wrap this up, but so you have The Scorched Earth coming out and you're working on the third book of The Chaos Born, and do you have anything else you want to plug? Uh, no, I think, I mean, you know, I think people should check out uh, my website, uh, www.drewcarpition.com. Um, under the news section, every two or three weeks, I put a blog up. Uh, I try to talk about things hopefully people will find interesting. Um, you can always contact me on my email if there's anything, people have questions or whatever. I do answer all my emails, although it sometimes takes me a couple weeks to get to them. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, The Scorched Earth is coming out, and Children of Fire just recently came out in paperback. So, uh, you know, I encourage people to pick it up if you like my, uh, my writing, uh, my Star Wars stuff or my Mass Effect stuff. I think you're really going to enjoy Children of Fire. Great. And where can people find you on the Internet as far as, like, um, Twitter and stuff? So I am on Twitter, uh, Drew Carpition. Uh, just all one word. Uh, it's the advantage of having a very awkward to spell name. So nobody else has it. Um, and I'm on Twitter. I'm, I'm pretty much on there every day. And, and uh, um, you can follow me there. Or again, my website, drewcarpition.com. Um, I've kind of reserved my Facebook for like family um, and like close personal friends. So, you know, don't, uh, I don't accept friend requests on that for people I don't know in person. Um, but yeah, definitely on Twitter and definitely on my website. Uh, those are the best places to, to keep track of all things Drew. Sounds great. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And um, really, like this has been a blast. It's been awesome. Yeah, I really appreciate it. Thanks for the opportunity, Teresa. All right, thanks. You have a good day. You too. Bye. Okay, so that was Teresa's interview with Drew Carpition. And uh, you got a lot of great information out of him, Teresa. Oh, well, thanks. I had some questions from you that you threw in there. And then um, I really enjoyed all of our feedback we got from our listeners and questions that they wanted to ask because he got stumped on a couple of them yeah 
Yeah, it was cool that we got a lot of because um, before we did the interview with Drew, we put out on Twitter and Facebook like do any of the listeners have any questions? And it was awesome to get a lot of responses from people. And so anytime we have authors on, I think from now on, we should probably do that again because I think we got a lot of good questions out of that. And we do have another author interview, at least in the works. So I guess we should probably wait and say who that is. We probably ah. shouldn't say yeah, Or should we go ahead and say who it is? We can say who it is. We just don't know when it's going to be coming. Okay. So go ahead, Teresa, because I think you just got it confirmed today that it's happening. So who is it? It's actually Daniel Wallace. Um, he's done The Jedi Path, Book of Sith, um, the Star Wars Atlas, all that kind of stuff. So it'll be neat to have someone that's an author that's different, that's not just an author of the novels and stuff that's done some of these other types of books. I'm really excited for it. Yeah, he he's one of my favorites uh, just because of all the different guidebooks that he's contributed to and I, I really enjoy you know the getting into the kind of the the deeper stuff in the Star Wars universe so and he he's responsible for a lot of that information so it'll be awesome to talk to him yeah so that's coming up and other than that I guess we can go ahead and wrap up this episode sounds good so our next actual review episode we're going to be covering Legacy Volume 2 Book 2 Outcasts of the Broken Ring and then also the Dawn of the Jedi Volume 3 Force War comic so you start reading them now so you can listen to our next episode. And as always, you can follow us on Twitter at SWBookworms, and you can send us an email, starwarsbookworms at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. You can also like like us on Facebook. Uh, check us out over there. We're always posting updates on you know any book news that's coming out, different book covers as they reveal them, or any news that we come across. And um, head on over to iTunes and leave us a five-star review. That really helps the show. It helps us search for Star Wars and people notice notice us and want to listen to us and we need to get more people into reading the books anyway so if you can head on over there leave us a five star review and let us know what you think of the show yeah we're like a totally legit podcast right now Teresa because we were like on the Star Wars blog I think I know how so. awesome is that yeah thank you Amy Ratcliffe that was amazing <laughs> so hopefully that can inspire some more uh, iTunes reviews for us and as always, you can follow Teresa on Twitter at IceColdPenguin. She also has a very interesting Instagram account with the same name, so you can follow her there as well. And you can follow Aaron. He's at AVGoins on Twitter. And as always, may the Force be with you. <laughs>